Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, watch out Reese's. We're reviewing our mini homemade peanut butter cups from Cookie and Kate. Were these homemade candies the perfect tiny treat for ourselves and a great head start on our holiday gifting plans? Let's find out. And in this week's Bake Along, we're rolling out a new bake for both of us. It's that savory, round breakfast staple. You guessed it, the bagel. We'll also discuss ways to make your life easier if you're in the hot seat this year and hosting a big holiday dinner. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I am so excited about one of my favorite podcasts, which has recently relaunched. It is called The Christmas Past Podcast. It's hosted by Brian Earle, and you and I have some exciting news about this particular podcast. That's right. We are guest starring, our first guest appearance on the episode that's going to be on or around November 25th. I think Brian is still just launching and we had an awesome, fun time recording that. We're going to be the fruitcake experts, Andrea. I am super excited about going off on all things fruitcake, as you know we like to do. I'm certain he'll have many other experts on the show who are into fruitcake like we are. I doubt he'll have fruitcake haters, but I don't know. I guess that's a possibility. So as soon as he releases that episode, we will be sure to share it with all of you. And I think it's going to be really fun. The day that we recorded that, I was so in love with my life. I thought, I have to go to work and talk about my love of fruitcake with my best friend. Like, (laughs) 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 it really doesn't get any better. So I am so anxious to hear how that turned out because we had a really great time with him. Me too. Another thing that I wanted to check in with you about is a new product that I have seen being very heavily marketed over here in the States. It is from a company called Country Crock, and it is called the Pre-Softened Baking Sticks. Mm-hmm. Stefan, have you ever heard of this? So I've definitely heard of Country Crock. Weren't they the outfit that had the commercial that kind of had like the magic hands, like the hands were in love? Do you remember that from the 80s? <laughs> I do not remember that. Okay. It was a whole commercial built on like the hands, like the hands were kind of flirting at breakfast while they were like spooning out the country crock. Okay, anyway, I digress. (laughs) I'll have to look that one up. Okay. The reason this appealed to me personally is, as you know, I don't have a microwave and sometimes Mm -hmm. I forget to take my sticks of butter out of the refrigerator the night before. And I have a few tricks to combat that. One of my most common tricks is I take the sticks of butter and I place them on top of my warming tray on my espresso machine. That's right. Yeah, you've said that before. That's right. Unfortunately, last week I did that and then I left the house and forgot. (laughs) And I came back home to have melted butter all over our machine. So my husband has banned me from using 
the warming tray for anything other than warming espresso cups. Oh, This jumped out at me. I thought to myself, well, I'm kind of interested in this. Obviously, it is for people who maybe can't have butter Mm -hmm. or who just want to have a butter substitute for baking and a way of getting a pre-softened thing. You don't have to soften it. So straight out of the fridge, you can easily mix them into your items. Yeah. I believe they're just made with vegetable oil. It looks like the package says sunflower oil. Crisco makes a butter flavor Crisco in a stick form, and that sounds maybe like the similar product. I have had recipes, I've run into them over the years, especially with cookies, and they'll say to use, they'll they'll specify a butter flavor margarine stick. So I think that those are definitely out in the world, and I would be very intrigued if our listeners have experience, you know, how does it stack up? Is the convenience worth maybe a trade-off in taste or texture? I, I would love to know that as well. Yes, I'm looking for some feedback on these. So I do believe listener Barb has a recipe that uses margarine that I've had before, Actually, it might be two recipes. It might be both her pie crust and her Christmas cookies, her rolled sugar cookies. Maybe there's other people out there who have used these baking sticks and let us know what you think about them. Well, on to our review of this week's Bake Along, which was the homemade mini peanut butter cups from Cookie and Kate. Kicking off our round theme with one of our favorite candies, homemade peanut butter cup. And here we had a preheated record of ingredients, three, four, if you count the salt, Peanut butter, maple syrup or honey, six ounces of chocolate, and some flaky sea salt. Andrea, you were looking to make one of the many, many variations. Did you do the variation, and how did it go for you? I did do the variation. So as I mentioned, my daughter's school has requested nut-free contributions. So I went ahead and I bought this sunflower seed butter, which I had never bought before. I tasted it before I used it, and I liked it. I mean, I like sunflower seeds, so no surprise. I like the sunflower seed butter. Okay. I combined that sunflower seed butter with maple syrup. The other option was honey, but I like maple syrup better than honey. Mm -hmm. This sunflower seed butter has the same consistency as peanut butter, so I I really don't feel there's any other adjustments that you need to make. I did have mini cupcake pan liners, but guess what I did not have? The mini cupcake pan? It's somewhere in my house. Oh, dear. I know it is. I know I have one. I searched high. I searched low. I could not find it. But the recipe author said... You can fill a mini cupcake pan with liners or arrange the mini cupcake liners on a plate like I did. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that, yes, you can do that. But unfortunately, of my 15 mini peanut butter cups, I would say only three of them turned out to be beautifully and perfectly round. The others went in sort of an oblong (laughs) direction because they just didn't have that pan to help it hold the round shape. Right, right. Yeah, and this isn't oblong month. It's round month. So, <laughs> oblong month comes next year. Let's save oblong month for, I don't know, the summertime. The final ingredient there is the chocolate. She recommends six ounces of chocolate or one cup of regular size chocolate chips. Yep. I used a 62% cacao. chocolate from a company called Scharfenberger. Yeah. They have it labeled as semi-sweet. It's kind of funny. It's in a a yellow box. I got mine at Target. It says fine artisan dark chocolate. And I have to say, I think that the 62% is just perfect for me and my family. I like really dark, bittersweet chocolate. My family likes it less so. And so this one is dark enough, high enough cacao content for me to feel like it really is dark chocolate, but light enough for them to feel like it's not super bittersweet. 
they sell the 10 ounce bar at, like I said, at Target. I got it there. I think it was about five bucks. So I thought it was actually a pretty good deal. Yes. And I just sort of chunked that up and I used the double boiler method of just putting a yeah. Yeah. Um, pan on the stove with a little bit of water in the bottom of it. And then I put a stainless steel mixing bowl right on top of that and just popped my chocolate into there, cut up, and it melted quite quickly. I filled the cups as she instructs you. And did you use a, a little teaspoon or just a little spoon? How did you fill your cups? I did, but then I noticed I was just using my clean hands for most of it because the quantities are so small in this that I would load up the teaspoon and then have to push it out anyway. So I just have clean hands are a great tool. And with this small of quantity, I was just scooping it out. That worked for me. Yeah, that's exactly what I found myself doing too. So I just wanted to yeah. check in on that. Okay, good. I really loved the small quantities. You know, it's kind of funny when you go to do this and you realize one teaspoon of melted chocolate in the bottom and then a half a teaspoon of the yeah. um, nut butter mixture in the center. When you top it with that final teaspoon of the chocolate, you know, you might not even cover all of the nut butter. It's not like a Reese's peanut butter cup that you buy at the grocery store. That's, I think, the main thing that I want to get out there. For sure. Or at least I should say it's not like the full-size one. But it's not even like the mini. I agree. No. I think the quantities mm -mm. were, well, for, for taste, which I'll get to in a minute, but then just also the, the quantity of what you've got there is different than the, than the proportion that you have with the commercial. Agreed. Yeah. You freeze the candies for five minutes once you've done that chocolate nut butter chocolate. And then you sprinkle your sea salt lightly over the tops, which I definitely used. I had that cypress sea salt and I think it's really great. And then you freeze them until they're firm about 25 minutes more. After that point, I stored mine in the fridge. I took them out of the freezer after that. That was a question. Mine are still in the freezer. I didn't know if they were meant to then stay there, if they could come talk to room temperature, or fridge would have been another good idea. They're so small that they don't freeze. At least mine didn't freeze super hard. So even when they were in the freezer, they were still edible. You weren't, you know, cracking your teeth trying to take a bite. Yeah, I think it's really a preference thing. I mean, I love the taste of them straight out of the freezer. She does say in here you can store them at room temp for up to a week or in the refrigerator for up to two months. I challenge anyone to have these things last in your house for two months. <laughs> <laughs> Ours lasted, mm, I think, maybe two days. Yeah. So yeah. I had a couple. My husband just went absolutely gaga for these. He could not believe how good they were. My daughter had a friend over that night for a sleepover, and they disappeared upstairs, and the empty container came down the next day. Success. These were a big hit in my household. How about you, Stefan? For me as well, they came together really fast. I made them on a Friday night, which is not typically the best time to necessarily tackle a baking challenge for the show, and it came together so fast. It was an absolute delight. They were cute. They were tasty. The real peanut butter filling has a good texture because of that other syrup that you're putting in there. And instead of maple syrup or honey, I chose a third option, which is Lyle's golden syrup. Oh, yummy. I love Lyle's. I love the kind of toasted flavor of that. I thought it worked really well here. You might be tempted to say, I'm just going to skip that step, but don't because it really helps with that creamy consistency of your peanut butter. I used just an off-the-shelf peanut butter and I would say in general, it has less salt here in this country than I'm used to in the States. But I also, I didn't feel like it needed any more because I also then topped it with the flaky sea salt that you brought me from France. That gift keeps on giving. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 
For my chocolate as well, I hear you about being either too dark or too sweet and finding that middle ground. I had some dark baking chocolate left over from when we did Queen Elizabeth's favorite cake back in episode 75. Oh, yes. And at the time, because that cake or homemade Kit Kat as we (laughs) renamed it, that calls for a lot of chocolate. And I thought it was too bitter, the one that I had, too dark. So Mm -hmm. I went with half dark baking chocolate and then half a milk chocolate baking bar from Dr. Octor and that was the perfect combination with this. It melted beautifully. It was super glossy. I liked the baking chocolate here because as you guys all know, chocolate chips are a rare commodity for me, so I really have to hoard those. So, baking chocolate works great. In fact, I thought it worked really great. Taste-wise, awesome. Consistency-wise, awesome. I got 12. I did not get 15 and they were gone very very quickly. Yeah. And she does say you can multiply this recipe as necessary. So I think this is going to be a great holiday gift, especially, you know, you can just put them in a a cute little sealed bag or um, a little box, you know, and give people two of them or four of them. I just think it's going to make a, a really nice homemade gift if you know that people like this. Up next week, we are turning our eyes toward another round item, and that is Very Good Bagels, Easy-ish 2, which I love. (laughs) Best title ever. This is from Alexandra Stafford, and of course, we reviewed her peasant bread back in episode 67. Thank you, Stefan. We reviewed her peasant bread back in episode 67, and we loved it so much. She very kindly sent us a copy of her wonderful cookbook, Bread Toast Crumbs, along with um, something that I'm going to call a bread hat. I don't know what it's actually called, but it's this lovely little cloth cover for your bread bowl when you're rising your dough. It looks like the headpiece that colonial women used to wear, which... (laughs) It's always very quaint, but it is great. I use that thing all the time. It, it just covers it without using like a saran or a tea towel, but it has elastic around the edge, so it, it's tight. I love it. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head the company that made it, but I think it's a fabulous, fabulous item. And again, a really fun holiday gift for a baker in your life or for yourself. Yeah, so we just wanted to say that in the interest of full disclosure, this recipe we're talking about today actually does not come from that cookbook. It comes from her website. Stefan, have you ever made bagels before? Once. A complete disaster. <laughs> oh, okay. So are you nervous about this recipe? I am. But first of all, we had such amazing success with Alexandra's bread back in March during bread month. I thought at first, you know, you chose the recipes for this month. And when we were reviewing them, I thought, oh my gosh, Alexandra has figured out how to do a fast bagel, you know, because she's going to use her her trademark peasant bread and it's going to be this quick rise. And then I read the recipe and she couldn't figure out how to do that. And it comes down to this issue of hydration. And so bagel dough needs to be much less wet than her peasant dough, which if you remember, has a very sticky, very wet dough. So this does have a rise. It has quite a long rise in the fridge. So look at the resting times that are in this recipe. But otherwise, I love it. It's a classic Alexandra Stafford recipe, well-written. She gives you options for either doing eight or a dozen bagels. Everything is explained. There's video links. There's all kinds of commentary about why you're doing this, why you're doing that. Andrea, the other thing that's a little intriguing in this recipe is you boil the bagels with some barley malt syrup or maple syrup in the water. Have you done anything like this? No, heck no. (laughs) This is all new to me. I'm very... 
Very excited about all of this. I didn't even know what barley malt syrup was. Yes. I think, I think now I went and watched her video and I saw a picture of it. And so I do think I have seen it before. But if I can't get it, I definitely have maple syrup. So I'm not worried about that. Okay. I also like that she has both imperial and the metric measurements on she here. Sure so you'll get, you know, six cups of flour or 768 grams of flour. So no matter where you're baking from, you'll be able to use her instructions. And I am very excited about this. I'm thinking I'm going to have really good success. My daughter loves bagels. I typically buy them once a week and get that sleeve of six. And she eats one almost every morning. And so this is going to be really fun. And, you know, really great bagels is something we have yet to track down here in London. So first of all, listeners, if you know where I can do that, please let me know on our (laughs) Facebook community. But second, maybe I should just be making them myself and perhaps this is the recipe that will be the reason I can do that. Very much looking forward to very good bagels, easy-ish to perhaps my favorite recipe title of any that we've done. Remember, we will have a link to this recipe in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 99. It'll also be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook group. Okay, Stefan, how do you feel about the dessert course at the end of a huge holiday dinner? First of all, you asked me the best questions. And second, (laughs) clarification needed. Am I eating it or preparing it or hopefully both? (laughs) Well... Good point. But in this case, I'm actually talking about preparing it. Okay. Well, it is one of my favorite things to plan for and prepare when I'm hosting a big meal. And an example, upcoming Thanksgiving, of course, usually I decide to serve three pies. And with the amount of people that I host, that turns out to be about half a pie a person. So (laughs) that sounds like a really good ratio to me. (laughs) I know. How about you, Andrea? Well, I knew how I felt, but I wasn't quite sure how to articulate it until I read this quote from Sam Sifton's book, Thanksgiving. I've mentioned that on the show before, and I always pull it out at the start of November and start reading it. Yeah. He has a whole chapter on desserts. Excellent. Of course, given the title of the book, his quote is specific to Thanksgiving, but I really do think it can apply to any big holiday meal. Okay. So here it goes. A proper Thanksgiving should close out with a blast of warm, gooey flavor, a burst of sugar that can give a guest just enough energy to make it from table to couch, the holiday's final resting place. (laughs) The dessert need not be extravagant. It should absolutely not be experimental, nor should it be overly cute. Frosted cakes are unnecessary. Save the chocolate for nights of anxiety and depression, for New Year's Eve or an unwelcome birthday, perhaps. (laughs) What I loved about Sam's comment was that he put into words the challenge I face every year when I'm thinking about our holiday meal and the dessert. The holiday magazines and the food blogs all start rolling out in October, and I get so excited when I see, you know, a new way to use pumpkin or a new twist on an old favorite like a chocolate bourbon pecan pie. Yeah. I love the days of contemplating about the new items I want to try, the planning, the shopping, the cooking, the prepping. But when it comes right down to it, I really don't want an experimental surprise on my holiday dessert table. Yeah, there's usually enough surprises that happen without planning when you're cooking (laughs) that um, you don't need to add one more. Right? 
And plus, you have to consider your guest. If they have been at your house for hours and they've had appetizers and they've had multiple courses and they've had side dishes and perhaps they've had a few adult beverages, chances are the last thing they need or want is a seven-course dessert buffet. (laughs) So in that spirit, I want to advocate for a smaller, more intimate dessert course or, dare I say, just a single dessert at the end of a holiday meal. I'm recalling that you were a bit disappointed the year you served your pumpkin gingerbread semifredo at the end of your Thanksgiving meal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I'm also recalling that you never miss an opportunity for me to say semifredo. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You're really getting good at that. Yeah, with that particular dessert, it was light, which was nice at the end of a huge meal. But for me, having a frozen dessert on this cold and wintry day just wasn't the greatest fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when it comes down to it, I don't want ice cream at the end of Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. But speaking of pumpkin gingerbread, that reminds me, you had a pumpkin gingerbread pie at the end of your Thanksgiving one year. I think we talked about that back in episode five. Yeah, that was actually a purchased pie that was from Tom Douglas, Dahlia Bakery, and it is delicious. It's it's a great time saver, and it definitely saved us some work in the lead up to that meal, but at the end of the day, it was never going to replace my pie. Yeah, there's just certain recipes that we often need to feel like our holiday is complete. Yes. For me, at Thanksgiving, it's definitely a pie. And the great thing about pie is that it can be made in stages, and most certainly it can be made ahead of time. Absolutely. So listeners, that's our first tip for serving and saving your holiday sanity. (laughs) Choose a dessert that can be made in stages. For a pie, that means making the crust a few days ahead of time, and maybe the filling, and completing the pie the day before. For a cake, that means baking and freezing the cake layers and getting the frosting ready. If it's a cheesecake, you can make both the crust and the filling ahead of time, and then all you need to do the morning of is make the topping and chill. And that leads me to tip number two. When you've got a big meal on the way, you're much better off making a dessert that needs chilling time at the end rather than heating time. I know at my house, both time and oven space are at a premium on Thanksgiving Day, and the last thing I need to try and do is squeeze a pie pan in next to the turkey. Yes, good point. And that's one reason I particularly love classic pumpkin or sweet potato pie, because they're better when served chilled. And with the smaller ovens I have here in London, I just cannot hold both a turkey and any kind of dessert option at the same time. So I have to make ahead as much as I can. I do think there's some elegant chilled desserts. I'm thinking about them in those beautiful glass coupe glasses. Ah, coupe. Things that come to mind are things like pumpkin or salted caramel cheesecakes, panna cotta. I recently saw a recipe for a vanilla and spiced cider mousse that looked yummy. Literally 10 minutes before we started recording this episode, I came across two, Andrea. They are souffle, a chilled souffle. Have you Mm. ever made a souffle? I've made a souffle, but not a chilled souffle. These are both chilled, and it's from the UK version of Good Housekeeping. One is a chilled chocolate whiskey souffle with salted Mm. butterscotch, and the other is a cranberry souffle. So those both sound fantastic. Oh, yes. So those are two that could be a possibility. I haven't made them myself, but if you are a souffle person, that's something that you're comfortable with. Give that a try. Let us know how it goes. Okay, what's our next sanity saver? This may sound crazy for a baking podcast, but I'm going to throw it out there. Tip number three, when people ask you what can I bring, say dessert. (laughs) 
And here's why. I think dessert is the easiest course to recover from if you have a mishap. Mm. So, for example, if you have one person assigned to bringing the rolls and they don't show up, you're in trouble. And there go your turkey sandwiches. Or if you have one person assigned to the mashed potatoes and they end up stuffing them full of cayenne and garlic and goat cheese and your kid starts crying at the table. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that really oh, happened no. one year. Again, you're in trouble. Whereas dessert is much more forgiving. If you tell everyone who asked to bring something to bring a dessert, you'll end up with several. Usually they'll be different. And most likely everyone will be able to find at least one thing that they like. But what about my pie? I'm afraid they'll be crying at my table if I don't serve my family's favorite. I know what you mean. And there is every chance that your guests could go rogue and bring some really outlandish <laughs> desserts for your special meal. So here's another option. Make your pie the weekend before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Enjoy your kitchen time. Enjoy your special family recipe. Get your kids to help you when you're not all stressed out. And most of all, enjoy a slice or two before the big day. <laughs> You'll still have enough left over to pull out discreetly if Aunt Marge shows up with her special lime jello stuffed with shredded carrots. Again, true story, although names change to protect the innocent. <laughs> Poor Aunt Marge. Though at least she probably had several helpings of leftovers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of leftovers, I collect a variety of Tupperware, and I also pick up reusable containers from thrift stores throughout the year so I can send guests home with their share of the goodies, including dessert. One year, though, I splurged and bought individual cardboard pie slice holders. They were so adorable, but turned out to be a big fail because um, who wants just one piece of pie for the road? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Speaking of leftovers, they are related to our final tip, which is tip number four, go small. So as much as I've been talking about pie, I'm the first to admit it can be difficult for some people to enjoy a whole slice, especially if it's topped with whipped cream or ice cream. Whereas pie bars can be cut into tiny little squares that are really just a mouthful of sweetness. Ina Garten, uh, better known as the Barefoot Contessa, has a delicious recipe for pecan squares. Yes. And Tom Douglas has a recipe his wife makes every year. It's called Jackie's Holiday Fruitcake Bars with Dried Cherries and Brandy. I will post a link to both of those recipes in the show notes. That is a great idea. And I love Ina's pecan pie squares. I've made those several times. They're incredibly rich also. So you really only need a tiny little bite. And they keep very well too. But Andrea, I'd like to add tip number five that I've lived by almost my entire life. <laughs> if you are worried you'll make too much dessert or you do end up with a glut of dessert leftovers, just remember that holiday desserts, especially pie, are one of the best day-after-the-feast breakfasts around, and you have preheated's explicit permission to savor your handiwork the next morning. I love that tip. Yeah, I agree. There's nothing like a piece of pecan pie reheated on a cast iron griddle. Oh, listen to you. <laughs> the morning after the holiday. I, I can guarantee you're going to love it. Listeners, what are your sanity-saving tips that help you handle dessert when you're hosting a big meal? Leave us a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. 
Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. Next week, we'll review those very good bagels and introduce a sweet potato pie that's a perfect addition to your Thanksgiving table. And you won't want to miss our big celebration. It's time for Preheated's 100th episode. We'll be sharing all of the listeners' favorites from the beginning of time and awarding the coveted second season Blue Ribbons. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. Thanks to a couple of our listeners who have written us reviews lately. I've seen one called Delicious Dialogue that also had a really great little tip in it about uh, cooking on a marble square for your pies. Or was it rolling out the pie dough on the marble square? Yes, rolling, because she makes something like pie for 40 people yes yes that was a great tip yeah so if you have some time please do go ahead and rank and review us on apple Podcasts, google play spotify stitcher or wherever you download our podcast until next time i'm andrea ballard in olympia washington and i'm stefan Cohn in london thanks for listening and sweet dreams is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.